Welcome to Shelter Cove Online. We are so glad that you're joining us today for this sermon. We hope and pray that this message encourages you, that you learn something, that you enjoy it. But more than that, we just pray that God would move in your life, that he would reveal some more of himself to you today. If you would like to respond to this message in any way, you can contact us at sheltercovelive.com. Have an amazing rest of your day. If you have your Bibles, grab them, open up with me to Luke chapter one. While you're turning to Luke one, I do wanna say that it is a treat to be here. I really do enjoy getting to come out here, see all of you and unfold the word of God with you. I wanna tell you by way of introduction about a problem that I've been trying to solve for the majority of the Christmas seasons that I've lived through. Here's how the problem takes shape in my life. Maybe it's similar to you. December 1st through the 24th in my life, is awesome. I love when the Christmas season is ramping up. I love when the lights start going up. I love hearing Christmas music on the radio. I love the, the just kind of the feel in the air. There's like a, a tangible joy and happiness to the air right now. Um, and, and I love it all kind of builds up to Christmas Day, the crescendo to the 25th. And you get to wake up the 25th and open up gifts and have great meals and celebrate with friends and family. I, I love it. I love this time. Now, here's where the problem problem comes into play. I have yet to figure out, and, and I think maybe this is the first year that I'm, I'm going to figure it out, but I have yet to kind of figure out how to wake up December 26th and not feel sad, let down, like borderline depressed. Uh, how do you have a December 26th where you wake up and go, Gosh, man, like, it just kind of feels like that was a little anticlimactic. Like, it seems like for me, no matter how great December 1 through the 25th was, I would wake up the 26th and be like, gosh, is that it? Have you ever felt this? So here's a question I want to pose to you today. What's the secret to a joyful December 26th? Because December 1 through the 25th seems like it just kind of takes care of itself. There's, there's kind of just this organic joy in the air. But how do we wake up the 26th with some joy still in our hearts? Now, I'm going to give you an answer. And this answer that I'm about to give you is monumental. And I don't say it's monumental because I'm trying to make myself sound smart. I stole this answer from other people. This answer extends so far beyond just December 26th. I'm convinced this answer is the entire reason for your existence. It's why you're here on earth. Philosophers have struggled for thousands of years to answer this question. Why are we here? I'm gonna give you the Orthodox Christian answer. You ready? What's the secret to a joyful December 26th? Magnify the Lord. Magnify the Lord. What do I mean by magnify? Not like stick under a magnifying glass. I mean in the classical sense, to worship, to exalt, to glorify, to make much of God. Look at me, you're an image bearer of God. You are made to reflect the glory of God. You're made by Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. You're built to bring him glory. That's the whole purpose of your existence. That's why everything in the earthly temporary realm ultimately lets you down and fails you. 
No matter how shiny the trinket is, no matter how new the car is, no matter how great the new house is, it ultimately wears off. Does it not? Stop me if I'm lying. You're not built for those things. You're built to glory and worship in something eternal. Now, what do I mean by worship? What do I mean by magnify? Is that just singing songs? That's part of it. It's deeper though. To magnify something means you make something or someone ultimate. It is most important. It is the sole object of your affection. It dominates your affections. It's what you turn to for peace. It's what you turn to for identity. It's what you look to for comfort. That's what you worship. And here's, here's the thing about worship. What you worship directly impacts your joy. Your worship and your joy are, are tied together. Worship something earthly and temporary, your joy will be earthly and temporary. And I need to put a qualifier on worship and joy because oftentimes in church, we like to glaze over this truth. Worship and joy oftentimes, I would say majority of the time, is very happy. It is a very happy, delighted experience. Sometimes though, worship and joy, it's not happy. Sometimes it looks like Job in Job chapter one. You've never had a bad day like Job's bad day. He loses everything in a day. Family, kids, net worth, homes, all of it wiped away in one day. Job tears his clothes, he shaves his head, and then he worships. Naked I came into this world, naked I shall leave. The Lord is given and the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Whew, that's a hard thing to say. Sometimes worship is crying till your eyes are sore that you feel your tear ducts, they have no more tears left. And in the despair, finding that God really is close to the brokenhearted, that he really is a refuge and an ever-present help in times of trouble, sometimes that's what joy and worship looks like. And I need to tell you that because if you think worship and joy is just all smiles and laughter, you're setting yourself up to be very disappointed. Now I wanna turn our attention to the text, Luke chapter one, because it's in Luke one, we'll find this phrase, magnify the Lord. Here's what's happening. There are two birth narratives taking place. The first one centers around Zechariah and Elizabeth. Elizabeth has been barren her entire life. Gabriel, the angel, comes to Zechariah and says, your wife is gonna have a son. And this will not be just any regular son. This son is gonna be John the Baptist. He will be the forerunner to the ministry of the Messiah. He will prepare Israel for the Messiah. And then six months go by. Things are just kind of routine. Things are quiet. They just sort of get into the flow of life. Gabriel shows up again, this time to a virgin named Mary. And he says to Mary, you're going to have a son and this will not be any regular, normal son. This son will be called the son of God. He will save his people from their sins. Mary has this great line at the end. She says, may it be to me as you have said, may it be to me according to your word. What a great statement. Gabriel, before he leaves, tells Mary, 
your relative Elizabeth, she's already six months pregnant. Now here's the part where we are gonna read. I wonder if Mary, like after everything settles and, and Gabriel takes off and kind of the, the high of everything wears off, I wonder if she starts to think, did I really just see an angel or am I tripping? Am I going crazy or did this really happen? And then it dawns on her, Gabriel said, Elizabeth is six months pregnant. Let's go see if she's pregnant. And that's exactly what Mary does. Get your Bibles, we'll read here. Luke chapter one, verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. That's John the Baptist doing backflips in, in Elizabeth's womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So Elizabeth gives Mary all kinds of credit, all kinds of praise, all kinds of compliments. Mary doesn't hear any of it. She deflects it all unto God. Here's what she says, 46. And Mary said, my soul, what? Magnifies. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Will they call me blessed because I'm Mary and I'm awesome? No. They will call me blessed. Why? 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and thank you for the Christmas season. As always, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be the driving power and force behind our time. I cannot affect heart change. I am a broken vessel and sinner like the rest of these people here, God. The only difference is I just get to stand up on this platform a few feet taller than them. Only you, only you can affect heart change. Only you can save souls, God. So Spirit, would you illuminate our minds? Would you teach and encourage and correct? Please, Lord, I'm, I'm asking that you would shape us more into the image of Christ. And it's for his wonderful name I pray, amen. Well, really today I have two goals. I have two things that I'm hoping to accomplish. We'll see whether or not I can do it. The first goal I've already checked off the list. I wanted to tell you, you're meant to glorify God. It doesn't matter what your earthly job looks like. It doesn't matter so much where you live, how much money you make. Your purpose is to magnify the Lord. And anything outside of that, you will find your soul is constantly lacking and wanting more. That's what you're meant for. If that's what we're meant for, the next question we should ask is, well, how do I magnify the Lord better? If that's my purpose, if that's what I'm built for, if that's the secret to a joyful December 26th, how do I do this better? And that's what I'm hoping to answer today. That's my second goal I wanna try and lay before you today. To do that, we'll answer three questions. 
If we can answer these questions thoroughly, I think they'll help us. We'll have a more full, rich degree of worshiping the Lord. Here's the first question in your notes. What hinders us from magnifying the Lord? What hinders us? What stops us? The answer is thousands of different things. There are thousands of different things that stop us from worshiping the Lord. I don't have enough time. I wouldn't have enough time in 20 years to address everything that hinders us. We'll just pick one today and we'll pick one that kind of centers around Christmas. To answer this question, I've got to borrow language from Colossians and from Hebrews. Here's how I'll answer it in your notes. What hinders us when we worship shadow over substance? Shadow over substance. What do I mean by this? Colossians 2, all over the book of Hebrews, they refer to the Old Testament as shadows. Shadows. In the Old Testament, there's all of these pictures of Christ to come. Maybe if you've studied English or literature, you've heard the term foreshadowing. Foreshadowing refers to something in a novel or a piece of literature. It's picturing an event to come. That's the Old Testament. The Old Testament is a lot like a where, it's like where's Waldo? Like once you see the little image of Jesus, the little representation of Jesus, you see it all over the Old Testament. It's everywhere. The whole priestly system, that was never a means to an end. That's a picture of Christ being our high priest. Adam and Eve being clothed in the animal that God killed for them, that's a picture of Christ clothing us in his righteousness after his sacrifice. The whole sacrificial system, a spotless lamb that would be killed in place for our sins. Remind you of anyone? That's a picture of Christ all through the Old Testament, shadows. Christmas season, filled with shadows. And here's where we get a little bit off the rails. We get off track when we start hoping in the shadow to bring our souls joy. I'll give you an example. Christmas lights. I love me some Christmas lights. I grew up in a neighborhood that was called the Street of Lights. During Christmas time, we literally, police would come and, and direct traffic. Thousands of people would come through our neighborhood every Christmas. Our, our house alone had over 10,000 lights and we were on like the lower end. There were some houses that had 100,000 plus lights. Now, Christmas lights are beautiful. The aesthetic of them is wonderful. They're a great thing to put up, but Christmas lights are a shadow of something greater. They're a picture of something greater. We put Christmas lights up this time of, of the year to remind us of verses like John 8. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. We put Christmas lights up to remind us of Isaiah 9. Behold, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Isaiah prophesies that Israel, who's shrouded in darkness, all of a sudden, boom, Someone's going to come onto the scene that illuminates like no one before. That's Christ. So listen, you can, you can Clark Griswold your house as much as you want. You, you can put thousands and thousands of lights on and it'll bring you a little bit of temporary happiness. But what happens when December 26 comes? What happens when January rolls around and you see your electric bill? No, no, no. The Christmas lights are a shadow of a greater substance. Joy is in Christ. Joy is in the light of the world, not in these little lights. 
These are a picture of something greater. On and on we could do this with Christmas gifts, with the Christmas tree, with the Christmas meal, with Christmas music. None of those are bad. They're just shadows. There's no real substance to them. They point to something greater. And that's where joy is found. So we get off the rails and we start thinking, man, if I can just buy the right gift, if I can just play enough Christmas music, then my soul will be filled. No, it won't. I've tried. No, it won't. Those things point to a greater reality. Jesus, that's where our joy is found. Question number two, what motivates us? What motivates us to magnify the Lord? Once again, the answer to this is almost infinite. There are so many reasons why we should, motiv- or we should magnify and worship God. There is not enough time on the human side of eternity to unpack and pull out every reason to magnify the Lord. But for today, we'll just look at two. And these two come out of what Mary said. What motivates us? Here in your notes. God, our Savior, who has done great things for us. This is what Mary says, gets all these compliments from Elizabeth. And then she says in 46, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior. She's praising God that you're the one that saves me. You're the one that rescues me. 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. To me, one of the most unbelievable aspects of Christianity, especially the Christmas season, we celebrate during this time of year that the creator, almighty God of the universe condescended down into human form. Like the God who has thousands and thousands of angels praising him and honoring him nonstop in a form of royalty, in a form of glory that we can't even comprehend, leaves that behind and is born into a stinky barn, sits on a throne, a royal throne, and now he's laid in a feeding trough. Still got remnants of animal slobber on it. The God who speaks galaxies into existence billions and billions of stars without even breaking a sweat. He doesn't have to lift a finger. He doesn't even strain to do it. He just says, let it be, boom, and it exists. That same God, unfathomable power, now has to have his diaper changed, now has to be burped, can't even hold up his big baby head with his weak little baby neck. unbelievable display of humility. What humility. That humility reaches its full expression some 33 years later when God Almighty will go to the cross on my behalf, on your behalf, to be what the Bible calls a propitiation for sins. That means a satisfying substitute for sins. He pays the penalty. He serves our sentence for sins. Because here's the reality none of us want to admit anymore. 
We would much rather be distracted by endless entertainment. We'd much rather be buried in our phones from sunup to sundown than face the reality that we're guilty of sin and that our sin, our transgression carries with it a death penalty. Nobody wants to admit this. We'd much rather listen to cotton candy theology that makes us sound awesome, makes us sound like we're great. The only problem with that is every page of the Bible. You and I are guilty of rebellion against God. Every single one of us, by our sin, what we do when we sin, we say, God, you don't know what you're doing. I know what I'm doing. I'm better, I'm smarter. I would make a better king than you. I know how the world works better. I know how the universe works better. It's rebellion. And you know what happens in this rebellion? As we defy him, we destroy ourselves and we destroy those around us. This kind of offense is a capital offense. It's, our sin is not like we spilled milk in the kitchen or, or we forgot to call mom back. It's not an innocent mistake. It's rebellion and it carries with it a heavy sentence. Now look, church, I don't really like that news just like you don't like that news. I don't particularly enjoy having to share that with you. That's heavy news to hear. Do you know why I share it with you? Because the only way for news to be good is for that good news to invade bad spaces. The only way good news is sweet and delicious is if you taste the bitterness first. And listen, man, we know it. We know we're guilty. This is why you see people frantically trying to disprove God, frantically trying to come up with theological frameworks that make us innocent, constantly trying to come up with ways to medicate and numb our conscience. We know we're guilty. You gotta do something with your guilt. Christ provides the right way out. Because those 33 years later, he is slung up on a cross and he bleeds out on our behalf. Leviticus 17 says that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Christ sheds his perfect eternal blood so that our sin might be perfectly and eternally atoned for. All of it, all of it, it's all wiped clean when you simply come to faith in Christ. So you right now, with all your addictions, with all your sin, with all your inconsistency and hypocrisy, me too, we come to Christ with simple faith. Please, Jesus, save me. And when the heart lays out that kind of prayer, the lavish, perfect, atoning blood of Christ wipes the slate clean. Somebody be sorry, man, I'm gonna walk out of here. <laughs> All of it. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation means no condemnation. It's all gone. He wiped it all clean. It's all forgiven. Holy mackerel, this is good news. The gospel is not say a prayer, but then you better act right. No dancing, no smoking. No watching R-rated movies unless it's about World War II or the crucifixion, then that's okay. <laughs> that's not the gospel. The gospel is you, yet a sinner, 
you, yet inconsistent, still struggling, still fumbling, can come to Christ and be wiped clean, washed sin as far away as the east is from the west, perfect, spotless, blameless, above reproach. That's the language the Bible uses about those in Christ. Oh my goodness. Are you hearing this? This is amazing. That's what Mary's worshiping. That's what Mary's praising God for. God, my savior. And she goes on to say, who has done great things for me. Confession time. For the last six, seven months, I have been seeing in my own heart and life a, a, a rise in discontentment. I've been struggling with, man, why can't I make as much money as so-and-so? Man, he's an idiot and he makes way more money than me. Why can't I make as much money as him? Why don't I have a nice car like so-and-so? Why can't I have a nice house like so-and-so? And it's been stuff I've confessed with different brothers, talked with different people about and praying about, but I've just seen in my own heart this rise in discontentment. You know why? For whatever reason, and I think it just happens, I have lost sight. I've become numb to all the great things God has done for me. I've just lost, I don't know, I don't know how it happened. I've just lost sight of it. So my prayer the last few months has been, God, show me every grace. God, show me every kindness that I've become numb to. I, I, I'm sorry, I've lost the ability to be thankful for these things. Help me again. Renew my eyes, renew my mind to see all the grace and kindness you've bestowed on me. Help me. Because nothing will rob your worship like a discontented heart. Nothing will inflame your worship like a heart full of gratitude. So what motivates the gospel? God, our savior, and man, he's done great things for us. And if you're here today, full of discontentment, God, help me to see again. Show me every grace that I've lost the fight to see. Third question. We'll say it in your notes like this. What does magnifying the Lord practically? Real life, real time. What does it practically look like? Once again, there are thousands of answers we could lay out to this. We could spend years and years and years talking about all the nuts and bolts of how this practically looks. We'll just do three today. First one, singing. Singing. This is a very tangible way that we magnify the Lord. We make music unto him. All through the Bible, all over the place. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Praise the Lord with the harp. Praise the Lord with the lyre. Praise the Lord with the cymbals. Teach and admonish one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. All over the Bible, sing, make music to the Lord. Charles Spurgeon said this, and I always thought this was really clever. He said, music is the language of heaven. It's how they communicate up yonder. I always thought that was a good picture. There's something about music that really is heavenly. It's divine. It, 
It engages the entire person, the mind, the soul, the heart, the emotions. It, it makes you want to move and dance and, and sometimes cry and sometimes laugh. And like there's few art forms that engage the person like music. And I think that's on purpose. I think God gave us music as this tool to know him deeper, to experience him deeper. I just wonder what it would look like in your life. I wonder how your joy might increase if you made it a practice to sing to the Lord more. Yeah, Chad, you don't understand, man. I got a horrible voice. You don't want to hear me sing. You're probably right. <laughs> look at me. There's people with beautiful voices and they sing with empty hearts. All the talent in the world singing with vacant, empty hearts. So maybe it's not singing. The Lord's really good at hearing the cry of the heart. Maybe your heart just kind of hums to the Lord. If the world can sing and celebrate and praise, how much more should the church be filled with song? Be filled with jubilant song. We've been forgiven of everything. Our slates are wiped clean. We've received an executive level pardon from the most high judge. We're free. How much more should we be singing and worshiping him for that? Number two, prayer and scripture. Prayer and scripture. Jesus in John chapter four says, those that worship me will worship in spirit and truth. Those are the two components of authentic worship. The spirit must worship and you must worship what is true. So Jesus is saying, I'm not after your mechanical rote repetition of words. He even calls out the Pharisees for that. You say all the right things, your lips honor me, but your hearts are what? Far from me. He wants the spirit to draw near to him and then to worship what's true about him. So how do we do this? Prayer and scripture. We orient our hearts towards God through prayer. Prayer is one of the mechanisms that we examine our hearts. God, am I, am I authentic right now? God, search my heart, reveal if there's, something, if there's something false, if there's something holding me back right now. Because listen, if you just come to church and go through the motions, this is the most boring, kind of silly thing on planet earth. There's sports on, man. You could be at home in a recliner. But... If our soul comes into this room going, Jesus, I want to get close. I want to draw near. Would you draw near to me as I try to draw near to you? Oh, well then now we get to, now we get to taste the divine. We get to spend time with our maker. In truth, how do we know what's true about God? The book, scripture. It is not worship to say, God, I thank you that most of the time you keep your promises. That's not worship. You're worshiping what's false about God because God always keeps his promises. You need to know this book. God has very clearly revealed himself that we might know him. Third, third and final practical way. I'm gonna lose some of you on this one. Pursuing obedience. This right here is where we separate the pros from the amateurs. Jesus in the gospel says, 
If you love me, you will what? Yeah, nobody likes to repeat that verse, huh? Here, quiet that was. <laughs> you will obey my commands. <laughs> Romans 12. Paul says, therefore, brethren, I urge you by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. Now watch what he says next. For this is your spiritual act of worship. So you can come in here and sing all the songs you want. You can jump through the hoops, open up your Bible. You can highlight and do all those things. Paul goes, you wanna know how I can tell someone serious? When they start presenting their bodies as living sacrifices. I love this wordplay. Isn't that a contradiction of terms? A living sacrifice? Sacrifices are something that you kill. What does he mean here by a living sacrifice? He means the Christian walk is characterized by us alive in this physical body, but we are very much with our time here on earth, putting something to death. We are putting to death the sinful nature, the flesh. We use the weapons of prayer, scripture, reliance on the Holy Spirit, Christian community. We're putting our sinful desires to death. And I specifically said pursue obedience because nobody nails this. We will be fumbling, stumbling, trying, making mistakes. It will be awkward. It will, we'll just, we'll stumble forward, but we got to keep moving forward. And the Bible is very clear. If you're serious about worshiping the Lord, part of worship is ordering your life according to the word. I can tell when somebody is serious about the Lord, when they start looking at their lives and saying, okay, am I handling my money according to the word? The way the word orders money, am I doing it that way? I can tell when somebody's serious about the Lord, when they pick up the scriptures and they go, are my sexual ethics and sexual practices in line with the scriptures? Am I handling my family? Am I handling free time? Am I handling work? Am I handling food and drink? Am I handling all of these things according to the word? And if you're anything like me, the answer most of the time will be no. <laughs> So the proper response is not to hide. The proper response is not to make excuses. The proper response is not to go, well, God, you don't understand because so-and-so in my past did so-and-so to this and this. No, 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 that's not the right response. None of those will hold up before a holy God. The proper response is to go, Lord, thank you for your grace and mercy. I am perfectly forgiven in Christ, but I also wanna kill this sin off. I want this sin dead. Help me. I confess I'm sinning here and I want it gone. And maybe you got to confess that to a brother or a sister. Maybe you got to get some people to help you. And then you pursue obedience. You pursue righteousness. That's worship. And once again, I told you, your worship is tied to your joy. You know why the Bible's calling you to obey? It's not because God needs help getting you into heaven. Jesus took care of that perfectly. God's calling you to obey because your joy's at stake. You will find deeper joy, deeper peace, deeper contentment the more you kill sin off and bring to life 
the fruit of the spirit, obedience to the commands of God. Like you do know God is not after your begrudging submission. You do know he's a good God, right? You do know that he's a God who delights in delighting. You think God is glorified when there's a whole bunch of people who are miraculously saved by his love and grace and then have to begrudgingly, uh, like half-heartedly submit to the commands? I've saved you by lavish grace, but now go to church and hate every minute of it. No, no, I've saved you by grace and daughter, son, I have good things for you. I have life abundant for you but it's going to mean killing your, your flesh off, killing your sin off. You're meant to glorify the Lord. What's hindering you? Is your motivation still intact? Practically, how are you magnifying the Lord? I want to close our time by just giving you uh, 30 or 40 seconds to pray. Because I think the best thing we could do right now is just let you go before the Lord and do business with him, whatever that looks like. So take 30, 40 seconds, pray, do your business with the Lord. Tell him and confess and ask and whatever you need to do. And then I'll close our time up, all right? Lord, you are good, you are worthy. I thank you, God, that uh, we have your word, that we might get these little glimpses into who you are. Can't wait to see fully, Lord. I can't wait to behold and, and just see how wonderful you truly are and how worthy of praise and, and honor you really are, God. This season, I pray that you would help our hearts to magnify you. God, forgive us for all the times. All the times we get stuck chasing shadows, trying to think that our joy will be found in, in the little trinkets of this world, Lord. Remind us that the true substance, that Christ is so much more beautiful, so much more rich. Remind us of that today. Whatever's hindering us, Lord, help us to move past it. God, if our motivations have dried up, renew. God, bring refreshment to our heart. Help us to rejoice again in the gospel and rejoice in all the wonderful things you've done for us. And it's not enough to just simply hear this, Lord, but may we start to practically put it into action. Pray, God, we'd be people characterized by melody and singing unto you. You are worthy of it. We might be people steeped in prayer, steeped in the scriptures and people that are serious about obedience. 
We need your help with this, Lord. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you know our frame. Thank you that you know how frail and inconsistent we are, and yet you are so kind and patient to work with us and, and gently correct us as a father instructs his children. Thank you for that. We honor you. We bless your name this morning, Christ. And it is for your name I pray. Amen. Hey, I love you guys. Thank you for being here. Have a great Christmas, and we'll see you soon. Bye.